And I, I was thinking that's very much parallel with our lives. Uh, as Christians living in a very wicked world, uh, we can negotiate with the world. We can compromise with the world, but we, we fail to understand when we do that that the world only wants to destroy us. We play around with sin, and we, we forget that sin destroys us. And we see that here with Lot and his life. Now, Genesis 19 is obviously one of the more unsavory chapters in the Bible because of the gross sexual sins recorded here. We find that even the people who were rescued from wicked Sodom, from the judgment that rained down uh, on, on Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the Jordan Valley, these who are rescued are found engaging in incest by the end of the chapter. No one comes off looking good in Genesis chapter 19. Now this is shocking to me, uh, and it may be shocking to you, but we find Lot described in the New Testament by Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 2, as a righteous man. How can anyone read Genesis chapter 19 and come away from it thinking that Lot was a righteous man? Now, of course, I'm not questioning Peter because I believe he, he was writing, uh, is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But it does cause a person to do a double take when you read what Peter writes there. Why? Why would Peter say that Lot was a righteous man? Well, in 2 Peter 2, Lot is described as a righteous man who was distressed by the sinful behavior he saw and heard in Sodom. Uh, he, uh, Peter's comment uh, is that Lot's righteous soul was tormented by the things that he saw and heard. And, and we do see evidence of that in verse 6. You see there, Lot tells this mob that's trying to, to rape these visitors, these angels. Uh, he tells them to, to refrain from acting so wickedly. So Lot identifies their actions as sinful and wicked and he calls them on it, encouraging them not to, to, to do that. And we can see other evidences of Lot's righteousness as well. Abraham's prayer in chapter 18 expresses concern over the righteous people who might be in Sodom and Gomorrah. And then verse 29 of uh, chapter 19 tells us that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow, when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. So one assumes that God rescues Lot in response to Abraham's intercession for the righteous who are in the city. We also see evidence of his righteousness in his welcome of the two angels who arrive in Sodom. Lot's reception of the angels mirrors the reception that they received from Abraham at the beginning of chapter 18. And it contrasts with the reception given by the men of Sodom. Just like his uncle Abraham, Lot welcomes the sojourners and he prepares a meal for them, puts on a feast. Unlike the men of Sodom, Lot shows the visitors courtesy and respect. He is concerned for their welfare. But the ungodly men of Sodom are obviously the opposite of Lot and Abraham in this. But that's about as far as it goes. 
The rest of the chapter is filled with Lot's poor choices and sinful behavior on an infamous level. I don't want to go into much detail about it, but uh, Lot offers his daughters to this mob, which is, he's trying to to, uh, stop one evil by uh, another evil, which is folly. But there's much we can learn from Lot and his family. Uh, we see his poor choices, his sinful behavior, even though he's called a righteous, righteous man. Lot is for us an example of the so-called righteous person who has forfeited by his compromise with the world and sin all the good things that come from being in right relationship with God through Christ. Lot is someone who is assimilated and compromised with the world and as a result had everything his life was built around taken from him. He no longer enjoys the comfort, the peace, the security, the prosperity that comes with trusting in the Lord. He ruined his name, his family, and his life through his sinfulness and his worldliness. And this is our focus today because I know that each one of us, without exception, is tempted to do the exact same thing as a lot. We have it in us. A friend of mine said it best when he said, I am just Christian enough to be miserable. I don't know if you know what it means to be just Christian enough to be miserable. It means that you are too Christian to engage in really big sins that give their practitioners a lot of temporary pleasure, but you aren't really Christian enough to know the rich and full joy of salvation. Some people call it riding the fence. When I was in college, I wasn't out partying. I was a pretty moral person for the most part. You know, better than most. But I really wasn't enjoying my Christianity. I wasn't really enjoying my relationship with the Lord because I had compromised with sin. I was like the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, that was neither hot nor cold. Jesus says to that church, I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would, you, would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. A dire warning from the Lord to the lukewarm church and the lukewarm Christian. You see in the quote in the front of the bulletin from Paul Tripp, Brothers and sisters, we need to take sin incredibly seriously. Yes, the penalty for sin has been paid, but you can still be a Christian and ruin your life because you don't take seriously the consequences of your sin. Galatians 6-7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. There is a direct correlation between the choices of your heart and the quality of your life. And we see that played out. In Lot. Let's look at now at how Lot's life was ruined by compromise with the world. You may remember back in chapter 13, Lot and Abram had been together. Uh, Lot left Haran and uh, he, had, he had left Ur of the Chaldees and he was accompanying Sarah and Abram and their, their family, their people. Uh, and they have flourished. 
They had flourished so much that now they were in conflict with one another, so they separate. If you flip back to chapter 13, uh, Lot, along with Abram and, and the rest of the crew, had left paganism back in Ur of the Chaldees, and Lot had been traveling with them. He went down to Egypt with them, and because Lot was connected with Abram, uh, he flourished. Chapter 13, verse 5, And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them, dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. So it's safe to say that because of the connection with, with Lot, I mean with Abram, uh, that Lot had, Lot has been blessed along with Abram. God told Abram, I will bless you and make your name great. And because Lot has been united to Abram, he has been blessed as well. And they're both blessed so much that the land cannot support all their herds and flocks. So they, they separate. So Abram, in order to preserve the peace between himself and Lot, tells Lot, separate yourself from me. And amazingly and magnanimously, Abram the elder uncle of Lot, lets nephew, younger Lot, make the choice. And that was just unheard of in those days, uh, to let the younger take the, the choice of wherever he wants to go. And you would like to say to Lot, no, don't go, don't do that. Don't, don't leave Abram's side. Stay united to Abram. Work something out. Stay united to Abram and all the promises that God has made to him. You've been blessed so far in your union with Abram. Don't spoil it now. But Lot's heart is revealed. Look at verse 10 of chapter 13. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord. It looked like the garden of Eden to him. Like the land of Egypt. Now, Lot had only been told about the Garden of Eden, but he had been to Egypt. The Jordan Valley to him was, was, was like an Eden. It was like Egypt. He had been down there and he thought, that's the perfect place. When they were sojourning in Egypt, surely Lot saw the wealth of Egypt and his heart began to long for it. And, and so without hesitation... Lot separates himself from Abram and the, promise, and, and the promises and he pursues wealth in the Jordan Valley. His hopes and dreams are wrapped up in wealth and all that it can bring. No matter, no matter that it separates him from the promises and puts him in a compromising position. Look at chapter 13, verse 12. It says, Lot settled among the cities of the valley. These are the cities that are destroyed in chapter 19. And he moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Moses is foreshadowing a little bit for us there. Lot thought wealth would complete him. That he had arrived. Uh, it would take him back to the garden, back to perfection. And in chapter 14... Foreign kings come and they attack the Jordan Valley and the surrounding area, the cities, cities that are there in the Jordan, Jordan Valley. And Lot is caught up in that conflict. And Genesis 14, 12 tells us, they took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom. So in chapter 13, 
He had his tent near Sodom. In chapter 14, he's in Sodom. And by the time we get to chapter 19, he's got a house right in Sodom. Lot has left Abraham. He's left the covenant promises of God that, that God had made to Abraham. Lot had security and prosperity with Abram and the covenant community, but he left that to pursue security and prosperity in the wealth and pleasures of the Jordan Valley. And ironically, he ends up with neither security nor prosperity. He has, at the end, no possessions. He lives in a cave in the hills, and his family is completely shattered. Look how it has caused him to jeopardize himself and his family. The angels urge him, back to chapter 19, the angels are urging him in, in, in verse 15, up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. See, he is so attached to the place and his possessions. He finds it difficult to leave even under the threat of destruction. The angels have to seize them by the hand and drag them out of the city. And when the angels say, escape for your life, don't look back, don't stop anywhere in the valley, escape to the hills lest you be cast away. Lot cannot bear the thought of not living in one of those cities in the Jordan Valley. It's, it's quite pitiful how he pleads with the angel to let him live in Zoar. Look at verse 20. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it's just a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? You can see the desires of his heart. He, he cannot bear the thought of not living in the Jordan Valley. It's quite pitiful. He is so entrapped and, in, and wrapped up in the life that he's built there in that sinful place, pursuing wealth pursuing prosperity and security in the things that are offered there in that wicked place. In Greek mythology, the sirens are creatures with the head of a female and the body of a bird. And they lived on an island and they sang an irresistible song, an enticing melody with words that promised knowledge to every sailor who came near them, ripe wisdom, and a quickening of the Spirit. The sailors' hearts would swell with longing as they sailed ever closer to the island, drawn by the siren's song. They did not realize that the sirens were luring them to destruction on the rocks surrounding the island. The siren song of the world is constantly calling us to take part in its pleasure promising all kinds of things to us with no warning that its ways only lead ultimately to misery and destruction. Sin is very attractive to us. Our hearts swell with longing for it. And it does provide temporary pleasures, but it will make a shipwreck of your life. There are consequences not only for you, but your family as well. L look, at, uh, look at Lot's family, Lot's wife. She is so wrapped up in her life in Sodom that she turns back to her destruction. She's turning back, longing for it, looking back, wanting that life, and would rather die than let it go. 
His sons-in-law have no concept of God or judgment, and when Lot tells them that it's coming, they think it's a joke. They can't even hear what he has to say. It's so foreign. It's such a foreign concept to them. They've been living in that godless society so long. And his daughter's immoral behavior was no doubt, no doubt influenced by a lifetime of living amongst the wicked people of Sodom. Lot is a grave warning to us of how we can ruin our lives and the lives of our families by, by living in sin and worldliness. Now contrast Lot with Abraham. Back in chapter 14, uh, Abram goes to war against those foreign kings who have, who have attacked the Jordan Valley, the ones who have uh, taken uh, Lot and his people uh, uh, captive. And so Abram goes after these foreign kings and he defeats them and he rescues Lot. And then the king of Sodom comes out to Abram and he says, you want to look back at chapter 14, verse 21, the king of Sodom comes to him and says, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. In other words, he's saying, you know, let me have my people back but all the spoils of war, of course, are yours. And that was the law of the day. If someone comes and invades your place and takes all your goods, and then another person comes along and destroys that army, and then everything that they get, the spoils of war, are theirs. So Abraham, Abram had a right to all the goods of Sodom. He had all the people, he had rescued them all, and it was his by right. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. You see the, the different attitude that Abram has to, to Sodom. Abram will not be beholden in any way to the wicked Sodomites. Now, undoubtedly, there's a lot of wealth there at Abram's fingertips, which he could rightfully lay claim to as the spoils of war, but he will not make himself great in the world's eyes by grabbing the wealth of the Sodomites. He will not be associated with them in any way. It seems that Abram has a different agenda for his life than Lot had. His life is following a different path, a different trajectory than Lot. And his value system is radically different, uh, opposed to the values of Lot. Abram will not grab the wealth of the world, but he entrusts himself to God and his promises. Lot ends up with nothing. Abram ends up with everything. What about you? Are you buying into the empty promises of the world? Or are you placing your hope in the Lord and His promises? Are you uniting yourself to, to God and His promises and His covenant people? That's the question for us today. And in the end, we must wonder, why in the world didn't Lot go back to his uncle? Surely Abram, Abraham at this point, would have received him and would have welcomed him back. Uh, you, you get the picture of the prodigal son returning home. But we, 
we, don't, we know that he, he doesn't. And we, we don't know why he did not do this. Maybe it was pride. We can probably imagine, because all of us are subject to the same kind of barriers to repentance, whether it be pride, shame, whatever it might be. We don't want to go back home, back to the, back to the Heavenly Father. We don't want to say, I have sinned against you, whatever, whatever, for whatever reason that, that might be. Second Peter 2, back to the passage where Peter calls Lot a righteous man. The reason that he's talking about Lot in the first place, in Sodom and Gomorrah, he also mentions Noah, and he's talking about judgment on the wicked. And the point he's making is this. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And I want to stress that first part. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. You know, what would keep you back from turning away from the world and all the promises of the world and saying, Lord, I, I want your promises. I want, I want uh, what you have to give, not what the world has to give. We have to come to understand what Jesus was talking about in John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's, that's, the, that's the devil. That's the world. Uh, that's sin. It, it, will, it will steal our joy. It will steal all the blessings that we can enjoy in Christ. Uh, it, will, it will kill us. It will destroy us. But Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus has gone to the greatest extent to secure those blessings for us. What a wicked thing it is for us to refuse the grace that is offered to us in this day and run after the siren call of the world and that and leads to our destruction. It's, it's foolish and it's wicked. May the Lord grant us all repentance and a desire for holiness today. Let's pray together.